Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Drake Podcast Show, the podcast that focuses on real people's stories. Join in as we speak to everyone from successful business owners to pastors to actors about their faith and how it helps them reach out and revolutionize those around them to do the same. And now get ready to be blessed with your host of the Drake Podcast Show, Dom. Hey guys, in a few moments time, I'm going to be interviewing Kat Fredgold, who has thankfully agreed to come on the Drake podcast show today to share her story of being pregnant and homeless, but not forgotten by God. I hope that today's testimony encourages you as much as it has me. Kat, thank you so much for agreeing to come on my talk show today. Now to bring us all up to speed, where does the story of Kat first begin? Hey, well, thanks for having me here, Dom. I'm I'm really privileged to be able to come and share my journey and how awesome God is. I'm really praying everyone will be encouraged and that Jesus will be glorified. I mean, he's just shown his faithfulness so much to me. I came from a pretty rough beginning. My parents uh, weren't married and were quite young and I think by the age of one, my parents would split because I had a, a father who had a, a very bad problem with heroin and my mum had to take us. And we actually ended up in a hostel that was run by the Jesus people when I was six months old. Wow. So my mum had kind of got born again in a little revival that came through Perth in the late 70s and early 80s. And she and me were taken in by them. So I'm very grateful. And so at a, yeah, at a very young age, I had a lot of instability. My mum, such a faithful person, she loves God and she taught me so much about the Lord, but she didn't have a great self-esteem, I think, and, and ended up with my, who I began to call dad, my stepdad. And, and we just grew up with a lot of drugs and alcohol and mm. violence and crime and all that kind of stuff. So it wasn't, it wasn't a very stable upbringing. And I think by the age of four, I had been mishandled by a couple of different men starting at the age of three but at the age of four having been I mean such a young age I was already suicidal and very scared all the time but mum yeah mum being the faithful woman of God that she is told me about Jesus at the age of four and the way she worded it just it really captured my heart for the rest of my life and and the way she worded it was there's someone called Jesus and he wants come into your heart and if you let him in he'll be your friend forever and he'll never leave you and that to me was just the best thing that could ever happen so at the age of four one night in my bedroom I asked Jesus to come into my heart and what was a scary dark room for me became very light and full of warmth and love and I remember a man sitting on my bed speaking to me about how much he loved me. And that was my first encounter with Jesus at the age of four. At the age of four. That is incredible, Kat. Guys, you don't understand that there's no junior Holy Spirit, as we know, right? And that means that even a three or four-year-old can have a recollection of a beautiful anointing touch from the heavenlies. And just like an adult can, Kat has at four small years of age. And I really hope that we can just continue to just kind of delve in to see where Holy Spirit takes this interview today. But I just thought that I'd just stop for a second and just reflect on that for a moment. Like just the importance of never taking a a small person's 
account for granted mm. because we see in the Bible that there was so many different people that were used instrumentally in a small or big way for the kingdom and God made it important enough to use those people. Yeah, it's so true. And, you know, I've always just had that understanding that just one encounter with the king, one encounter with Jesus can change everything. And for me, it really did. Like I remember sitting and seeing this man and his face was so full of love. And I remember seeing scary faces as a kid, angry faces, disappointed faces. His face is love. There's nothing else. There's no, I'm disappointed with you or you could be doing better or if you did this, then I would. No, he's just love. That's all that was in his face and I've remembered that my whole life. And he's just been with me. He began to speak to me at a very young age and, you're, you know, you're so right. Like I have, my husband and I have nine children and they hear God and they have dreams and they have impressions from him and they come and share that with me and it is so profound and if we stop and listen to some of the ones that we might see as less or you know maybe not as qualified to us I think God's always working Mm. to keep us humble Mm. and the goal that comes out of my kids is so life-giving so Jesus definitely met me when I was four and he began to speak to me he had a message that he would share with me I can remember up to the age of like six seven eight he was always talking to me and and saying to me you know go talk to that person tell them that I love them or he would say you know all these because we had people around us that were prostitutes and bikers and some of the biggest heroin dealers in Perth you know and they were in our house regularly Mm. and Jesus would talk to me and say I really hate what they're doing but I really love them and I want to use you to touch people like them and let them know that I love them. And the way he spoke about these people, like he hated the sin, but he never spoke in a way about anybody. And there was child abusers coming into our house and stuff. He never spoke about anyone in a condemning or hateful way. And I think that that message can be spoken to the world that Jesus, he loves everyone. He hates sin. He hates the evil things that we can do, but he loves everyone. We are all evil by default, but when Christ went on the cross of Calvary, he cancelled that evil out. And now our default being born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit is that we are, we're pure. We're not seen as dirty anymore. That's right. And, you know, for me, that was one of the most important revelations because coming into my early teens, I began to copy the things that I was seeing around me. And, you know, I had siblings age of, you know, like four and nine and and myself being in my very early teens, we we began to take drugs because we we saw it around us, you Mm. know, and it was accessible to us. And we started smoking and drinking and it just started off with marijuana, but it ended up in cocaine and speed and LSD and pills and pretty much everything that I could get my hands on. So all the recreational Um, drugs at the time, basically. Yeah. I mean, the first experience I had with drugs, I smoked some marijuana that we'd gotten Mm. and me and my younger brother. And I just remember this feeling of, I don't feel anything. And that's, I, I kind of got addicted to that. Like, I don't have to deal with the pain. I don't have to deal with the confusion or anything. This was my escape. And I became dependent on, on marijuana in a few, I was probably smoking about an ounce a week myself. And I was taking drugs every single day. And it was just whatever I could get my hands on. And wow. I was drinking myself to all, to the point of almost poisoning an unconsciousness, probably two to three times, maybe sometimes four or five times a week, smoking a lot and, you know, doing what I had to do to be able to afford that, whether mm. it was bad relationships or stealing or 
manipulating people, whatever I had to do. And it's just not a good way to live. I suffered a lot of violence. Being in that lifestyle, I was assaulted by men on more than one occasion because you are in a lifestyle where there's not a great moral compass in that scene. And yeah, it got to the point where I hated myself. I hated my life. I think I got to the age of 16 and I'd had a family member nearly strangle me to Mm. death. Went into foster care for a little while, ended up back with my family and then had another incident where I was beaten with a metal rake. And at that point, I just ran away from home and went off to another country town close by where we were growing up and ended up homeless for, I think it was about eight months. Mm. And it just became worse and worse from that point. I really didn't have any reason to live. I didn't really want to live. And I began to take excessive amounts of drugs and alcohol and put myself into positions, situations where I was hoping that it would end my life. Okay. Yeah, so I was I was very hopeless, heaps of shame and got to the point of 16 where I just decided I'd had enough and I tried to take my own life at my family's house when no one was home mm. and no one ever came to our house because we were that crazy family that you don't want to go to their house because you could get beaten up or something bad could happen. But that day that I tried to take my life, three people all came within five minutes of me wow. having overdosed and cut myself. And they, one of them actually had an intercessor with her. Oh, wow. And the intercessor was outside praying for my life. And they got an ambulance there in time and took me to the hospital um, under police guard because I was fighting the ambulance uh, officers. I didn't want to be safe. Got to the hospital to have a psychiatric assessment. And the psychiatrist, I was his last patient because he had retired to become a missionary. And he just gave me the fiery gospel. He laid mm. it out to me. Satan is trying to destroy you. Jesus has a plan. You need to hold on and keep running towards him and you're going to make it and there's a purpose for you to make it. And that was kind of my the first 17 years of my life. Wow, Kat, even in the health system, as bad a state as it is right now, Jesus was able to use people, vessels to, to speak to you in that 13th hour and give you something to cling on to, right? Rather than taking your own life away mm. so prematurely uh, in your own yeah. terms. He had perfect terms set out for your life for such a long time. And I think as we all go through our teenage rebellion, you know, stage respectfully here at home, mm. it really is a crucial time where our character is developing and we're molding and shifting and shaping around the people that we most look up to the dearest. And if you've yeah. got abuse in the, in the household of course you're going to go down that road it's just great to to move on from our past and definitely not tell people to define their lives by their past because Jesus oh, definitely doesn't and Kat going back to you being 17 was this the the breaking point that you just knew something within yourself had to change yeah this was the point where I kind of knew okay God you are you know, because I'd met him when I was young and walked with him. I went to a Christian school growing up mm. and learnt all the Psalms and the Bible verses and the, and the songs. And, you know, I used to sing some of those songs when I'd be sleeping under a bridge in a, in a dark place and just, wow. you know, fear not that you were with me, <laughs> you know, like oh, wow. little primary school songs, um, mm. which emphasizes the importance of sowing that into our kids which I'm very passionate about, that was the point where I was like, okay, God, you're not going to let me take my own life because I have tried so many times. So I've got to start talking to you about this. And I was at a point of desperation where I was saying to him, you're going to have to change me or kill me because 
I could not change myself. I could dream about getting up and not taking drugs and having a job and not having a, a boyfriend and, you know, not having smoking a cigarette or drinking or being angry. You know, I'd been, I'd had several assault charges. One was against the police officer. I'd broken a girl's nose. I'd broken a girl's finger. And then there was another one where there was two girls and I had unfortunately broken a girl's eye socket and caused her a concussion. And, you know, it, it came out of fear. I was very Scared, mm. but if someone um, I had been very badly assaulted in um, in the school I went to where I had to have a cat scan and I had probably fifty classmates standing around watching me and so this fear was driving this anger and making me just a horrible person. I just did not like myself and I was like, okay, God, you're not letting me off the hook. You've put this psychiatrist here. You could have just put me in on pills. And I've tried to take my life so many times. It's not working. And so I just had a very real and raw conversation with my creator, which I think I just want people to know that you can just be so raw and real with him and he can deal with it. He's big enough to deal with our rawness, our realness. He's seen it all. Amen. He knows it all. We can pour it out to him and he doesn't flinch. You know, he just wants to give us his love and reassurance. And I began to pray to him and say, it's either you kill me or you change me because I can't do it. And I kept trying over the six months. I kept praying this prayer, but at the same time, I was going out and taking drugs and still drinking and still, you know, trying to overdose and stuff mm. like this. And in the same kind of time frame, my mum had put this, like it's the biggest Bible I've ever seen. It's like massive, probably the size of like five white pages combined. Wow. <laughs> Big white <laughs> I, I guess she figured, you know, she needs big print. <laughs> yeah. And this big white Bible, and she put it on my dressing table, and I would stumble in, you know, midnight, two, three in the morning after being out and doing all the horrible things I was doing, and this book would be there, open on my dressing table. And it honestly got to the point where I'd walk in and I'd see it out the corner of my eye, and I couldn't look away from it. I couldn't shut it. Like, I just felt like I'm not going to shut this because this represents God. And it began to be that I felt the power of this book. I would look at it and everything would suddenly wear off. Like I could have smoked $50 worth of marijuana and I'd walk in and look at this book in the phone. That's what he does. In a heartbeat, he'll turn poison back to water. It's so true. And there's Mm. there's so much power in the word, you know. And It just began to be that I would take all these drugs and I would drink all this alcohol and it wouldn't affect me and people around me when I'd go and take drugs with them they'd say what is wrong with you you've had like four or five times as much as us and it's not affecting you and I'm I'm sitting there going I know like there is something wrong with me Mm. I hate this and that was a six-month journey of the of the effects of drugs and alcohol beginning to not work and at the same time I've been praying and saying God kill me or change me you know like the verse of the Bible says if you're sinning cut your hand off if you're looking pluck your eye out I mean, I was in a genuine place of, I don't want this life if it's just going to be about sin. I want you to kill me or change me. And thought he was going to kill me because I knew how bad I was, you know. And he didn't. He didn't. After six months of me praying like this and taking all the drugs and drinking, one day I was sitting in a doctor's office waiting for um, the result of some tests as I'd been unwell. And Mm. I was sitting next to the window and I just saw this flash out of the corner of my eye. I felt something hit me and I genuinely thought that it was lightning. And I was kind of waiting to (laughs) smell burning meat or something. Mm. And I just heard this voice say, you're no longer addicted. And at that point, it was as if 
this heavy casing of rock had fallen off my body and I sat upright and I just knew I wasn't addicted anymore to anything. And I literally walked out of that doctor's surgery and threw my cigarette in the bin. When I got home, I poured my alcohol down the sink, got rid of all the drugs and all the paraphernalia. And not long after that, broke up with the guy I was engaged to and I began to live a completely clean and chaste life from that point because the power of God hit me after God heard me crying out to him. That's so beautiful. There was uh, unexpected little people that kind of came into the equation at a pretty drastic time for you where you were obviously shifting your past into being a a present daughter that trusted in the God more and more every day. How did you cope with all of that? I mean, I was just so overwhelmed with the goodness and the kindness of God that he would save a wretch like me. Mm. Even now, I just feel so overcome with emotion just to reflect on how kind he was to me because I know for me and in the opinions of many other people, my life would have been better cut short. And he saw something else. He saw something that I didn't see, and that is that I was the joy set before him on the cross. He had predestined me to good work in him that I had no idea about, that I'd forgotten about. And it wasn't long after he had delivered me that I found out that I was actually three months pregnant. Wow. And There was a little one inside me who had been there the whole time I was drinking and smoking and taking drugs. And my first doctor's appointment, the the options were laid out to me. Um, The best option was to abort her. And I just thought, there's no way. (laughs) There's no way. God didn't cut my life short. Mm -hmm. Who am I to cut anyone's life short, you know? And the doctor said, well, you know, this baby's probably going to be disabled, probably going to have learning difficulties. Actually, if you come off the drugs, alcohol and cigarettes, cold turkey like you are, you're probably going to have a miscarriage anyway because of the uh, the shock your body's going to go into. I had no withdrawals. I had no cravings. You know, it was finished, as he said on the cross. And I believe that this is the power that we need to see if we're going to see a reformation in our cultures and our society is it has to be the power of God that we are dining after to see people's lives changed in an instant, you know, because time is short and people need to be set free now. Anyway, my daughter was born three weeks early. I kept her. I said, I'm not taking any drugs. I'm not taking any medicine. My whole pregnancy, I didn't drink tea, coffee. I didn't hardly have any sugar. I didn't have Panadol because God had just set me so free. Next I was like, level. I don't want wow. anything, you yeah. know. Like, yeah. it was amazing. I had a court case that I was meant to go to jail. I was meant to go to jail because I had I was up to my seventh and eighth uh, grievous bodily harm and yeah. assault charge and I was pregnant with her. I went to court after I'd given my life to the Lord and I was Ooh. willing to go to jail and pay for my crime. But there was no prior record on the system, so they didn't put me in jail. Thank and you, even Jesus. my lawyer was like, what just happened? <laughs> yeah, it's a miracle happening yeah. right before their eyes. It was. You know, he, he washed my record clean and she was born three weeks early and she was nearly 10 pounds, which is a massive a baby. baby. Wow. She was a big baby. And, you know, we got to kindy and her kindy teacher said to me, I think your child actually is gifted and talented and has genius kind of leanings in because she already knew oh. everything she needed to know for kindy. I love and that. I love that. Everything that they yeah. said to you and spoke over you and, and said words and curses to you that it was going to be this child, this little girl was going 
going to be disabled, God mm. ended up giving you tenfold the exact opposite to what was spoken in the narrative at the time. And that's why she's so gifted. I truly believe that God deliberately did that to just wow and amaze the doubters and the liars amongst yeah. us in the den of thieves, you know. So they would then mm. look up and go, it can't be anything but a miracle if science can't describe it. And professionals, as expert as they might think that they are in the worldly, can't explain that there is a real thing called supernatural intervention. That's then right. we got to leave that stuff blindly but have faith in the blindness of it, you know, like and know that God will eventually reveal it to us and it will be exposed of how it came to being. That's the mystery yeah. of life, isn't it? It is. And I mean, I remember the last thing that Jesus prayed coming up to when he was taken away to be crucified. He mm. One of the first things he prayed was God, be glorified. And I think he just uses these messed up, crazy life situations like mine and goes, and, and when we surrender to him, and we really, really go after him. He wants to take those lives and make them into something that glorifies him. Kat, honestly, I couldn't have said it better. I just feel the Holy Spirit all the way through your words. And I'm sure a lot of people are feeling the impact of just how powerful God came and intervened in a time of your life where you didn't feel any worth or feel that there was any point living on. And God clearly showed you 101 reasons, and one of those being that you were three months pregnant with your precious daughter, who I'm yeah. sure is a, a, a class A pupil today and is such oh. a blessing and testament of what you had to go through. But moving away from your past for a minute, I want to get mm. your thoughts on the amazing and supernatural things that normal Christianity teach us with God and that he may be currently performing around you and around your town currently. What have you been seeing? What's he been saying? Look, I mean, we are in a little rural town not a huge population. My husband and I had the amazing privilege in 2019 of holding a combined church event with some incredible ministers from the state, Todd White and another guy called Sean Smith and William Hinn. Yeah, I know these guys. We tune into Will's services every (laughs) Sunday. Amazing people. But what we saw from that was there is such a hunger for the authentic spirit of God moving amongst people I'm getting like from the conversations I've had and not just with people in the church but people who aren't in the church or maybe been hurt by the church the world is crying out for the authentic sons and daughters of God to be revealed and we're not talking about the world's crying out for the next motivational speaker Mm -hmm. or amazing pastor or youth pastor or amazing musician or you know even prophet or whatever evangelists they're not looking for that the world's not looking for that they're looking for the sons and the daughters the authentic sons and daughters to be revealed because you know when we walk in that sonship of being an authentic son and daughter of god we're showing the love of god and that is the only answer to this world is his love Well, that was part one of Kat Fredgold's two-part testimony on the Drake Podcast show. Join us next week for part two of her life-changing story from addict to daughter of God. If you missed last week's episode, then head over to iHeartRadio and Spotify to catch up on them now. Now for some family business, I have some big news to share with all of you. And to be on the safe side, you might need to be seated for the next announcement. Ready? The Drake Podcast Show is heading over to Apple Podcast subscriptions. So for all of you wanting to listen to bonus members-only content, including hilarious outtakes and fast-track premiere episodes of this show, you will need to sign up to my annual subscription box today. Click on the Apple Podcast link in the episode description to get started. To everyone else, good night.